You're listening to Politics Within Reason, the official podcast of the Party of Reason and Progress. Show the world you care about progress. Go ahead, give us a like or a share. And if you want to learn more or support your purpose, visit partyofreasonandprogress.org. Welcome to another episode of Politics Within Reason. I'm your host, Michael Hamm. And with me tonight is Samuel Jennings. Hello, everyone. And we are interviewing Dr. Stephen Novella. Yeah, Stephen has a brand new book out called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is uh, based on uh, the podcast of the same name uh, with some of the same characters. So thank you, Stephen, for joining us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. So I've actually read the book and it is a, I think Kara called it a tome and it really is, right? So uh, I think it almost reaches 500 pages. Yeah, it's pretty and big. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got to spend some time in Starbucks just sitting there uh, and, and plowing through it. But I'm going to post a picture of this because I've dog-eared every page where I found something interesting and it it's mostly dog ears mm-hmm. on, on the book. Every page is interesting. Come on. <laughs> there, there were a couple that weren't as interesting but okay. that's relatively your personal preference right yeah it's yeah relatively interesting and it, it really was a fantastic book and what it, what i realized as i went through it was that it really literally was the skeptics guide to the universe right it really is a guide to everything skeptics should care about at least you know within uh what you can fit within 500 pages yeah, that was the goal. Uh, we started out by by wanting to write that, you know, the the definitive guide to all things critical thinking and and understanding this whole scientific skepticism thing. Uh, we've been at, over the years. Many people have asked us, "Hey, if I'm just getting started or I want to introduce somebody to skepticism, what book should I recommend to them?" And there's a number that are out there that are, are sort of good intros. Um, but then also people wanted a more of a thorough reference to all the things that we talk about on the show. And this is kind of both of those. So if you are new to critical thinking or scientific skepticism, this is a great opener, great primer. And if you've been listening to our show for 13 years and you're into, you know, science and critical thinking, there will still be a lot of information in this book, uh, that you haven't encountered before. So it, it, it's thorough as well as sort of a, a good introduction. Um, and then at the end, we try to bring it all together. We're like, here, let's put those skills to use now and you know, talk about some topics and, and go over some cases. So we tried to make it as, uh, as fun as possible. And it really is useful beyond just a, a, a single read through. You know, you can use it as a reference, um, as, a, as an item of reference. If you're going back and you're trying to reason through a topic you haven't heard about, or if you're encountering an argument on the internet that, uh, you know, let's face it, arguments on the internet um, uh, <laughs> that uh, may have some fallacious reasoning, uh, you can go through and you can get a good explanation of why um, you should be careful about certain types of thinking. Yeah, again, so we, and it's interesting because we wanted it to be those two things simultaneously. It's like, how do you make a reference book a breezy, interesting read? <laughs> and that was sort of the challenge <laughs> that we set to ourselves. And we came up with an interesting solution, which we didn't exactly execute. But the idea is that there is this this reference book called The Skeptic's Guide, kind of like the guide, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide in yeah. the book of the same name. Like the book exists in the in the book, you know, and we are referencing that reference book. So now we're sort of writing about the reference book. And that's why the chapter headings may seem a little, inter- you know, wonky at first. Like, I'm not sure exactly what they're referring to. We're actually referring to this non-existent guide. 
And right. Yeah. I don't, I don't well, in, in a way, subtle. though, I, I think you're selling yourself short. I think it is the guide, right? Like, well, yeah, in, yes. Uh, and then in the end, it turned into the guide. But we tried to give it a it's but the guide is more of like an actual like a thesaurus. You know, it's a reference book. It's an encyclopedia. This is writing yes. about it so we can afford to be contemporary. This is like an earth person referencing this guide and making it accessible to earth people. You know what I mean? That, that was oh, of sort course. of the idea. And believe me, we took this idea to its ridiculous extreme that we then <laughs> put, put, brought back significantly because the book is already almost 500 pages. It would have been ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know what I really want with this? I really want like some futuristic minority report kind of thing where I can reference any one topic and just like, like pull it up. Right. Like, yeah, the, I think there'd be a really cool way to go with it. And in fact, like, it'd be really interesting if this could somehow be adapted for television, right? Like it's almost like Mythbusters, but for the way arguments are constructed and how to think about things. And I, I think it's really fascinating, right? Like how can you approach something like, I was telling uh, Sam about this, the Indian uh, suicides uh, related to GMOs, right? That's been a bit of a, a thing that's been out there as a, I think a documentary and articles and people were trying to tie GMOs to a huge number of suicides by farmers in India. And, you know, it really kind of hit home when I was reading this. I was like, oh, wow, yeah, actually, that's just something I've heard about, but it doesn't really appear to be true if yeah. you think about it. Yeah, it's total BS. Yeah. Yeah, it was literally made up as propaganda, just out of whole cloth. There is no science or evidence behind it. And the, the research shows, in fact, that uh, the suicide rate is, if anything, a little bit lower among farmers and it has absolutely no correlation to whether or not they were planting GMOs. It's, it correlates only to predatory lending practices, you know, and are there rules right. that protect the farmers against that? Um, and, and in fact, yeah. And as you, profits are, as you point out in the book, yeah. 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 As you point out in the book, the problem with those kinds of conspiracy theories are, it might really be hiding the real problems down there. So you think, Oh, well, GMOs are causing the suicides, but no, it's something else. Like, you're, you're using your bias to say, well, these farmers are easily tricked by a giant conglomerate mm -hmm. that will sell them these seeds. But what if they really are quite smart and they're actually increasing their profits? And this, you know, you, you should afford them the same smarts you would afford yourself when you're thinking of yourself in a situation. Right. Implicit, implicit in much of the anti-GMO narrative is that farmers are all dumb and that, <laughs> you know, privileged Westerners who live in cities know better about farming than actual farmers and that they they need to protect farmers from their own stupidity when, in fact, they just know nothing about farming. And they, that's why they make arguments that are incredibly naive, like, oh, those poor farmers can't save their seeds like none of them have been doing for a hundred years. Right. right. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're I, not, I've noticed that. They're not hand my son's tractor an acre at a time anymore, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that when my son uh, buys little tractors and stuff, uh, they don't have like the thing that would strip the seeds out and, and for replanting. Right? Yeah. It's just not really the thing that they have. Yeah. So, well, uh, even, so, yeah, even if like the, the seeds are the, are the product, right? Like if you're selling yeah. soybeans, the beans that you sell are also the seeds that you could replant. The, the thing is, one thing that most people don't realize is that most, other than being GMOs, most other plants are hybrids. And you can't replant the seeds from hybrids because the hybrid traits do not breed through. So and yeah. and like ninety plus percent of all crops in the last hundred years are hybrids. So 
that ship has sailed. No one is saving right. their seeds. You know, that is, right. not a, that is not a significant component of modern farming. So it's a non-issue. It's a complete non-issue. But to the, to the naive city goer, you know, who's never stepped It sounds like a, a reasonable farm, theory. It sounds like a reasonable argument, very superficially, if you know absolutely nothing about farming. And that's, <laughs> right. of course, what they count on. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, so There's a, uh, Michael and I, our main uh, thrust is the intersection between skepticism and politics. Now, I know that you're Not a non-political um, uh, organization, and, and I want to respect that. But um, just talking to our listeners, um, the, the point of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe and the point of skepticism, it's not so much about what to think, but it's about how to learn how to think. Right. Is that an accurate, accurate characterization, Dr. Novella? Yeah, absolutely. We, our, our goal is to teach people how to think for themselves. And we often point out, don't trust us. You know, we're just trying to figure this all out like everybody else. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we hopefully we're modeling good thinking hygiene, you know, some you know, logic and respect for evidence and things like that. And we'll take positions based upon our breakdown of the evidence. But We'll miss stuff. You know, we're, we're just we're, we're limited, flawed human beings, too. Uh, the, you know, science is a conversation. You know, any kind of scholarship and intellectual pursuit is a conversation. No one has the final word on it. Uh, but and but if you want to participate, you got to know what the ground rules are. You got to at least be you know thoughtful. You have to do what we call thinking about thinking, metacognition, mm -hmm. and that's basically what the book is. It's like you know another analogy or metaphor that's been used. Like it's a user manual for your brain. Uh, because that's like the one tool that we all use to understand the world. And if you don't know how your brain works, then you're going to fall, uh, you're going to fall for all the pitfalls, all the liability, all the flaws and biases. And, and you'll be very confident in really flawed thinking, uh, because you just don't know how our own brains work. You will accept the comfortable mistruth instead mm -hmm. of the <laughs> uncomfortable truth, because it is more convenient to your ideology in whatever realm that you're talking about. Yeah, and, and the, when we first start to talk about this, most people are like, yeah, other people do that all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. But the thing we emphasize, yeah, no, we do it. We all do it. Everyone does. This applies to, this doesn't apply to dumb people. This applies to human beings. And what it is, is the, and beyond even ideology, I know that when you're, when you're talking about politics, it's all about ideology, but it's more, the broader term that we use is, it's about narrative, right? Human beings yeah. understand the world through narratives. We tell ourselves a story about how things worked, how things work, what happened in the past, what's happening right now, about their, their themselves, about what to believe, about what the evidence shows. These are just stories that we tell ourselves, and our brains really care about internal consistency. Mm -hmm. And so conflicts make us feel very uncomfortable mentally. So we do one of two things. We just change the facts so that they fit the narrative, or we uh, wall off different narratives in isolated bubbles so they don't interact with each other. So we compartmentalize is what psychologists call that. And you have to break down those walls. You can't compartmentalize different c conflicting facts. And when the facts conflict with your narrative, don't assume that the facts are wrong and your narrative is correct, right? You have to then challenge your own narratives. Underst First of all, understand what they are. Oftentimes they're, they're implicit, not explicit. We don't even know what our own narratives are, but they're the filter through which we see the world. So first, understand what your narratives are. How did you get there? What's it actually based on? Is it internally consistent? Does it comport with the facts? And if it conflicts with facts, 
you know, change your narrative. Right. Uh, and whoa, whoa, whoa. Are, are you suggesting I've, I've ever been wrong? I, I think, yeah. I think this is, this is really making me uncomfortable in this uh, podcast. Yeah. But, but no, I think that was really some good points that you raised there. And I want to even get to the end because it's one, one thing I started to wonder as I went through this was like, okay, all these ideas that you're presenting. Yes, I, I recognize them. I understand them. But how do you get people to change their minds? And mm -hmm. you finally get to this last part when you talk about like planting the seed. And I thought that was really powerful because that's actually happened to me. I remember when I first started college, I was a, a young earth creationist and I was like uh, wanting to do a, a an, you know, an internship over the summer. And one of them was with a biology professor who did evolution and uh, studies. And I, I, I actually talked to him and I was like, you know, I don't believe any of this. I think this is ridiculous. And he, he sent me an email that I, I, I can't remember any of the words to it, but it did make me think. And it ultimately led me to go, oh, wow. Okay. You know, the science shows that this really is happening. I don't have a good explanation that counters the science. Mm -hmm. And so that was like kind of my journey into skepticism there. Yeah, that, that is powerful. And that, that's the experience that we've had as well. And, and also that's what the psychological studies show. So the, the good news is, is that people are pretty rational most of the time for most things. We do update our beliefs based upon evidence. Uh, we just don't do it for things that we care about, right? So the more right. emotionally <laughs> invested you are in an answer, or the more it is tied to your identity, then the more defensive you get of those positions. And so that's yeah. what you have. When, when That's why, again, like you said, we don't cover politics on the show. We actually do. We just don't take cover from an ideological perspective. Like we're not like liberals or Democrats or yes. libertarians or whatever. We're, we're nothing. We're apolitical. We're not non-political, if that makes sense. But we will happily talk about topics which have political implications. We just talk about the science, the evidence, the logic. Uh, right. So if you just take that approach, that's the approach we want people to take not the ideological approach where you get defensive and refuse to change your position, even in the face of contravening facts. And so to get people there, you can't beat them over the head with it because they'll just get more and more defensive. Right. They get more entrenched. Yeah. You have to give them sort of critical thinking skills and, uh, and make them think for themselves. And, and the other thing is, so people do care about the truth. People want to be correct and you have to engage that. And you have to get them to want to be correct more than they want to persist in whatever their emotionally held belief is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no guaranteed formula to get people to do that. You just have to, you know, do your best, you know, again, plant the seed, model it, you know, try to engage their critical thinking, uh, engage them on things about they about which they are already skeptical and then see and then they'll say, yeah. That's right. I don't believe in that bullshit. Well, how do I know that's not true mm -hmm. while thinking that this other thing is true? And that that has worked for a lot of people, too. Like some people who are you know, anti-GMO, for example, I don't talk to them necessarily initially about GMOs. I may talk to them about global warming first. And they say, yeah, they believe in global warming and they understand that all the people who are denying it, what they're doing. And then we explore that for a while. So, yeah, you think there's any analogy to the way people are denying biotechnology? I'll just let that sit with you for a while, you know, <laughs> right. and if they you can't you can't force people to change their mind. You can't. It's got to be their own idea. you got to just sort of help them light the path, but they got to walk it, you know.
especially if it is anything that is at all important to them. And, you know, uh, being from a political podcast, of course, we never encounter those those topics. (laughs) (laughs) People are completely rational in politics, which is what I really like about it. Yeah. And Dr. Novella, I do I do want to say that I should not have said that you guys are not a political organization. You are not a partisan organization. You do. Yeah, that's you, right. You, You're not partisan. Yes, right. You you describe you describe whatever the the uh, the truth is as best you you can find it out. So exactly, we know that there are some topics which are loaded. You know, like if we talk about gun control, we know that even our regular listeners who are mostly skeptical or, or very very skeptical, that could be an emotionally held view for them and. And that could they might react to that differently than than when we talk about Bigfoot, right? So that's why we talk about Bigfoot. Actually, you know, we talk about Bigfoot <laughs> because that's a good non-controversial, non-political topic to talk about with people who care about science and critical thinking. And then they they build their critical thinking skills on sort of those topics. And then when we get to something they actually care about, that's either religious or political or sociological or whatever. Hopefully they will have learned the skills on the easy things to then apply. At least there's a chance that they'll go, okay, maybe I was wrong about this. And at the end of the day, it comes down to you. They have to care more about being correct than they than they care about um, the belief. And that's where sort of the identity of being a critical thinker comes in. If you identify as a critical thinker, you'll actually take pride in changing your mind. It's like, wow. Here's something I was wrong about, and I changed my mind when evidence and logic was pointed out to me. Wow, good for me. And if that becomes your identity, then that's good because that's that's the self-corrective, you know, thoughtful path. Yeah, you know, you talked about uh, James Randi in one of your anecdotes, and I thought that was really interesting. Uh, He had he had done some. He's he's a really fantastic. uh, He goes in and debunks. You know, he's he's a skeptic who goes in and debunks. magicians and, and these types of things right and i actually got to see him once at a conference and i didn't know who he was at the time but i, I found him completely fascinating and so it's just always really cool just to see his name appear uh again i'm like oh i know that guy for, i've yeah. seen that guy but you know shook his hand yeah randy's, <laughs> and randy's he's fascinating fantastic he's you know probably the most famous person who is in the skeptical movement you know who's a celebrity right. skeptic he's a magician himself who spent his life you know, he, he figured out at a really young age that other people were using magic tricks, which he knew how to do in order to pretend to be psychic or to be faith healers or whatever. And they were ripping people off, you know, and that made him mad right. because he cared about stuff like that. So he started exposing, you know, fraudsters and hucksters who were using magic not to entertain but to swindle and that's how he sort of became famous in in skeptical circles and he really you know trailblazed a lot of what we do uh yeah yeah and so, yeah, so we, we all there's a lot of respect for him within the community because of that and so i had a question yeah. for you. did you guys know about randy before you guys went out and uh went to the uh, i forget the full name it's like last name is lee i think the n-e-s-s new england skeptical society yeah. went out and you were you guys were passing out flyers saying, hey, there's no such thing as... Dennis, uh, yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the dentist, the dentist yeah. is a, a, a con artist, you know, who's convicted, you know, of fraud, so I could say that, who right. um, makes his money by selling free energy and other new technology scams, right? You can invest yeah. in my company, which is developing all this wonderful technology, including, you know, free energy, and the government is trying to shut me down. Um, so he likes good conspiracy theories and, you know, patriotism and and belief in God sort of all wrapped in one. Um, 
and so he was he came to you know Connecticut near where we live and was you know had a was having a seminar where he was going to try to uh, to you know scam a lot of people so we went there to hand out flyers and and here they, here's his rap sheet you know this is all the things this guy was <laughs> right. convicted of bad check writing and fraud and this and that you know maybe you should think twice before you give this guy your money you know um and then we got kicked out by the hotel you know for interfering with one of their paying customers so but, right well, we but not arrested so no, no. success right uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah oh yeah we, we we've known about randy from before we were activists skeptics. okay um, we didn't get to meet him and, you know, become friends with him until after, you know, we were activist skeptics ourselves. Um, you know, now it's, you know, it's kind of an honor to, you know, to consider him an actual personal friend, uh, because he's, he's, he's that way. Like if you go to conferences and, uh, and you see him and you're like active in the community, he'll talk to you like a regular person. And you know what I mean? Like there's none of that aloofness yeah. I get with, with some celebrities, yeah, just he- a regular great guy. Yeah, I saw him at a neuroscience conference. They had they had hired him as the speaker. He was just really fantastic to mm-hmm. listen to. Yeah, and I, I think my favorite quote in the whole book you have there is "Conspiracies are the best friend of the con artist." And so again, as we are a political pol- you know political podcast, as Sam was saying, that really just rings so true mm-hmm. when you see things like the QAnon conspiracy. And there's just there's these endless conspiracies on the right. Yeah, that, and the left, and I'm sure on the left too. Yes, but uh, the right wing ones are nationally prominent. How about it? How about it put it that way? Yeah. Well, it depends on uh, who's in power. Certainly, uh, yeah. the nine 11 was more of a skewed left conspiracy. Cause that was, that's right. They, yeah. The Bush, Bush administration was... was in on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I think that it's very important to understand what the, um, the pitfall of conspiracy thinking is. It's a trap, you know, and, and it's a, because it, it's a very self-contained belief system because once you believe in the, the conspiracy, the conspiracy explains away all evidence and all lack of evidence. Oh, why hasn't anyone exposed the conspiracy? Because the conspirators cover it up. Okay, well, why? Right. What about this evidence, which clearly shows that it's wrong? That was fabricated. That was a false flag operation. Those are crisis actors, whatever. You can explain away any bit of inconvenient evidence. And any theory that's compatible with all evidence, that's a red flag. That usually means it right. actually is not a scientific theory. It's a self-contained belief system. It actually explains nothing. And you and it's always good to ask, well, how could you falsify this theory? And conspiracy theories can't be falsified, right? Because any evidence you could present against them was fabricated. It was part of the conspiracy. It's just it's a right. way it's it's used as a way of fending off all attempts at evidence and refutation. Uh, and then once you're so you, you, the only way to get out of it is to just understand and reject the methods of the conspiracy mongering itself. You know, the, the, the conspiracy theory cannot refute itself or cannot be refuted from the inside. You have to get outside of it in order for that to happen. So I noticed there's just I think there's just one picture in the book, right? Just one picture. So who slipped that one in? I have to ask. Well, there's a number of uh, graphs, and um, so there's more. There's more than one image in the book. I'm not sure what. There's which... more than one image, but I think there's only one picture, and I think it's of a, a butt, right? Oh so yeah, yeah. That was a pretty, well, that, pretty that's, awesome. Yeah, that's a drawing, though. It's not a photograph. It, right. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. should I should be clear. It, there's a a drawing of a butt, and I thought that was uh, yeah. pretty interesting. I suppose there's also one of the GMO uh, corn and stuff too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the very few images. Uh, very appropriately, though, is a a but to explain why it was so ridiculous that this uh, 
this topic was even considered. Yeah. I mean, you had to, the image had to be there for that story. I, so I agree. It's, it was a, uh, in the chapter on homunculus theory, which is an example. Again, we couldn't cover every single dumb thing that's ever been said in the history of humankind. So we had to pick representative types, you know? And so homunculus, the, homunculus theory is a, uh, a narrative that, that has been used in pre-scientific eras to try to understand the the world and how the body works. And the notion is that some part of your body maps to the rest of your body. And so right. you can use that map in order to diagnose and even treat or cure illness, right? So like that's kind of what palmistry is or acupuncture works that way. Chiro straight chiropractic works that way. Reflexology. Uh, reflexology. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, oh yeah, the, here's your liver on the sole of your foot. No, the liver is not represented <laughs> in any physiological way on your foot, but that's the idea. I, I don't know. Part of my foot feels drunk sometimes. Is that, yeah. is that right? Is that what's going on there? No. So, okay. yeah. So a, a scientist, uh, in order to show the low standards of this alternative medicine conference submitted a paper uh, drawing the buttocks homunculus, you know, so that you could use the <laughs> buttocks in order as the map of the rest of the body. And he basically just took the the real motor homunculus from the brain, because the brain does map to your whole body. That's a real thing. Uh, yep. Took that and superimposed it over just a, you know, a drawing of, of a butt and submitted it. And it was happily accepted into the conference. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good chapter. Entertaining. Yeah, that's right. Use it to your advantage, right? Use it wisely. So, you know, some of the other things that really rang true to me uh, when I was in college and had you know moved moved past my denial of evolution, uh, I was working on a liquid nitrogen powered car. It was an alternative fuel car, and there were a few cases where this might be useful when you didn't want any types of combustion or electricity. You know, the energy density of nitrogen is very low, but there might have been a few instances. But anyways, we'd take it out to shows. And inevitably, somebody would come up to us and say, hey, my uncle or somebody I knew or somebody I knew who knew somebody had developed this like 100 mile per gallon carburetor that you just slap onto any car. Mm -hmm. You get this great gas mileage. And it was it was like really early days of the Internet. And so it was it was a little bit hard to disprove. And I didn't quite have enough knowledge just to go, oh, wait, no, there's just not the energy density to do that. without." Right you know, uh, making, as Sam pointed out earlier, like a little go-kart or something, you can, you can absolutely make a hundred mile per gallon car. Right. Right. But you can't yeah, slap a carburetor on an existing car and make it go yeah. at a hundred, a hundred miles per gallon. But yeah, those, those are very common. There's also ones that could make your car run on water, uh, mm -hmm. is another common one. And, or it uses water alongside yeah. you know, the gas. Or engine. has magnets or something yeah. in the gas. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, something that yeah, increases the energy density of the of the gasoline. But yeah, a little bit of basic physics and chemistry is enough to debunk yeah. that. <laughs> right. And you know, then there's the also the notion just on plausibility. Yeah. You know, so some guy on the internet has figured out a way to double, triple the fuel efficiency of cars, you know, something that the entire auto industry has been working on for a hundred years. So you either have to believe that some guy on the internet is, is smarter than the auto engineers of the world, right, or right. that every single car company is involved in a conspiracy to hide this technology and not really oh, sure. it's the what, oil companies. It's not the car companies. It's the oil Yeah, so companies. the oil companies get... run the car, they, they own the car companies. Is that, right. so then you have to, so that's the other thing about conspiracy theories is that whenever you point out the blaring 
logical inconsistency that the, you you have to deepen the conspiracy in order to rescue it, right? The conspiracy right. has to become bigger. It's like, oh yeah, so the the auto industry is in league with the oil industry. That's why they're doing it for their oil industry buddies. Okay, and the evidence for that is, of course, there's no evidence for it because it's all a big giant conspiracy, you know. And this is in yeah. every country, every company, like no, like South Korea, you know, some South Korean auto company didn't say, "Hey, we're going to put out this, you know, car that gets twice the mileage of every other car and completely own the market." The, I guess the oil industry owns them too. I mean, it, so right. yeah, the, the conspirators have to be so powerful. That it defy, yep. and they also have to be yep. so, uh, you know, immaculate in their ability to keep the conspiracy, right. that the only people who know about it are the few, you know, conspiracy theorists on the internet, right? Those are the only people who've been able to pierce behind the veil, the the, the media and the governments, and no one else is, is able to do this. But I mean, think about think about what that would mean for our country if our auto fleet were suddenly had twice the fuel efficiency. Um, that would be amazing for our economy, for our environment, yeah. you know, and we don't want to buy oil from Russia. You know, that would be, would become, you know, fuel if more su uh, sufficient, you know, there's so much, uh, t for us to gain if that were the case that, you know, again, it, it, it sort of staggers reason to yes. think that the oil, it, the oil industry is that powerful, but conspiracy, you know, grand conspiracies on that level require, that kind of impossible, you know, reach in power. Well, let's just put it this way. Iran and North Korea both have independent auto industries, and I'm not sure how we would be able to convince them to suppress a 100 mile mm -hmm. per gallon car. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, their scientists aren't smart enough to figure it out. But. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's a bit of conceit involved in every conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. which is that I'm smart enough to figure this out and nobody else and is. And the right? sheeple like, are blind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's see. The other the other thing I liked here is that I don't think you actually cussed in this whole book, which uh, I think I would have cussed a lot more because some of these things are really frustrating topics. Uh, the, I think maybe the closest you came is uh, on page 429. It says, this is not an effing self-help book. Yeah, and we debated about whether or not to spell that out in its entirety, <laughs> but, you know. It's not spelled out. It's got, uh, I think it's got some characters yeah, in there. Yeah, it's F yeah. dot dot dot. So, yeah, yeah, but it's it might be family, freaking. Family I don't know. Friendly yeah, whatever. Family. But we, the, yes, the yes. point was made. Everyone knows what we're talking about. Right. But and on the show, you know, we have a little bit of uh, of vulgarity, and it's very calculating actually, because people often write back and say, "Oh, swear more, swear less, whatever." It's like, no, we've been doing this for a long time. We're swearing exactly as much as we want to. Uh, the uh, if you if you swear more, then you risk getting an explicit rating on iTunes and other aggregators. And we don't want an explicit rating because we want kids to listen to the show. Um, but a little bit of swearing actually psychologically makes the show feel more uh, intimate and accessible. Mm -hmm. And so we actually titrate the amount of cursing in the show to that effect. It's not just a very good use just, of the word titrate. Yeah, thank you. Uh, which mostly happens in the editing room, by the way. I don't really censor the the everyone else while we're live, but, right. but I can, it's yeah. very easy for me to edit it to exactly what I think is appropriate. Not too much, but just have to, having known Kara, I think a lot of words may get left on the floor. Absolutely. Just as a, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So speaking of Kara, so I, I got the book and I texted her right away and I was like, Oh wow, cool. I got your book. Let me try and guess which chapters you wrote. And I got them all wrong. So yeah. just to kind of prove the point of your book is that, um, you're not as know all knowing as you think you are. Right. It's interesting that uh, Kara told us that. And uh, of course, I 
uh, wrote all the chapters in my own voice. So even if Kara wrote a chapter, I re- right. I rewrote it, um, except for the their everyone's adventure, like Kara's adventure. I left in Kara's, yeah, so right. Bob's adventure and Bob's voice. So they all everyone has a chapter. The rest of the book I kind of put into one voice, which was our again was deliberate. That was a choice that we made in terms of the book. But yep. there are still like paragraphs that other people wrote that are still in the book relatively unchanged. And I recently had to reread the entire book from beginning to end over a short period of time because I read it for the audio book. Yeah, right. I heard you talking yeah. about that. And, and, it, cool. and even though it's been six months since I've looked at the content of the book, um, I can instantly identify paragraphs that somebody else wrote. Um, so, but that's me, right? Because I know my own writing style so well. You know, I could, you know, people use a certain turn of phrase like, yeah, that Kara wrote that. I didn't write that. Um, but yeah, if you, unless you, like if maybe if you are really familiar with my writing, you might be able to pick out stuff that I didn't write. Otherwise, it, it's by design should be should be hard to tell. If you're yeah, a, it's, it's if you're a, a fan of the science based medicine uh, website, right, or or Neurologica, right? Yes. So um, I I want to uh, give my uh, give our listeners a uh, a statement, and I'm wondering what you would what you would think about that and how you would rephrase it. Um, it's that um, you are all we are all wrong uh, sometimes and the the uh, it is incredibly important to keep that in mind and to uh, dissect your own thinking um, in order to make sure that you're correcting yourself when you do happen to miss something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 a reasonable statement. You could also say that we're all wrong all the time. Because uh, depending on how you define, quote, wrong. Uh, So from the point of view of no one has complete knowledge of anything and definitive knowledge of anything. Right. Um, All of our knowledge is an approximation. It's a model about, you know, a way to understand and predict how the universe works. But no one has the definitive final answer on anything. Uh, So we, we have to be humble about our own ability to really understand or know anything. Uh, but having said that, we can be right enough about things, right? You could be right as far as your knowledge goes, right? Which is all the case for everybody all the time. Uh, and you can be, you, 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 maybe you, you might not have the definitive answer, but the answer you have is sort of the consensus opinion on the best answer we have right now. Um, so our answers, our knowledge is all contingent it's all temporary uh but it is still functional and useful mm-hmm. and you know while some ans- no answer is the definitive correct answer some answers are better than others yes and, and yeah and understanding that difference is really what the book is about yes so uh, apart from buying your book which i would wholeheartedly recommend to all of our listeners and to anyone who follows us on social media by the way so yeah, please go on amazon or your your favorite um, uh, uh, bookstore and uh, purchase the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe immediately. It is fantastic. Um, Thank you. Uh, how how would you recommend that people get involved with uh, the skeptical uh, movement? Would you call it a movement, or would you call it? It's sort of a movement. I mean, it's an intellectual movement. Uh, there is no central organizing institution or anything. It's a bunch of individual efforts. Uh, either people or groups or podcasts or blogs or whatever. 
with a common sort of purpose of promoting science and critical thinking, but there's no dogma, you know, there's no, uh, again, central organizing institution. So it's a sort of movement uh, as much as it, as much as it can be. But yeah, we, we just want the world to be more critical thinking. You know, that we share that share that purpose. So if you want to know more about the book itself, you can go to theskepticsguide.org slash book, or you'll see the book at the top of our website. There we'll have all the places where you can buy it, including some signed copies uh, and all of our book signing events that are coming up over the next few, you know, few weeks. And, and then some we're putting our reviews there as well. We also plan on uh, once the book launches, we're going to be putting extra content like so like a study comes out that maybe expands or updates some of the information we put in the book. We'll we'll put that on our website with like the chapter like yeah, chapter 23. Here's a new study, which, you know, whatever we will we'll increase the information density of the book online. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. And then, of course, you could yeah, you know, really cool. through there. You can get to our blogs, our, our podcast, our Patreon page. Uh, in terms of any all things skeptics guide, and then, you know, just type skeptic into Google, and you will have no problem finding an active <laughs> community, lots of YouTube videos, and Facebook pages, and and podcasts, and and great blogs. There's a lot of people out there doing a lot of good work, um, and uh, it's very yeah. Fortunately, the good the good thing about the internet is that it's easy to find all that. Yes. Yeah. And and as a disclaimer, we uh, Sam and I were sent free copies of the book. Uh, Sam's got stolen. And so he's buying a new copy and I'm going to buy my copy. So there will be no gifts here. This Thank is you. actually a very good book and highly recommend it. And so, yeah, please check it out. And also the Skeptics Guide to the Universe podcast, which is a, a really great podcast. And uh, you guys do a weekly, I think it is, right? Every week. Yep. yep. Haven't missed a exactly. week in 13 years. That's really quite amazing. And so you get to hear the different novellas and uh, Kara Santamaria talking. And yeah. Evan. Uh, and Evan Burns. And Evan. Yes, that's right. Sorry. Don't mean to leave him out. Apologies there. He's an honorary. Was there Nolan, anything? But yeah, he gets a yeah. good mention. <laughs> yeah. Have you thought about just adopting the other two? And just yeah, we, go yeah ahead and... we might do that. Okay. Just make it official. Yes. Yeah, just make it official. Go ahead and, and go go all the way. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Dr. Stephen Novella. And is there anything you wanted to leave us with? No, well, thank you guys very much. I really appreciate it. I'd love to have the opportunity to talk about science and critical thinking. And, uh, you yeah, know, good luck with your with your podcast as well. I've been listening to it. It's very good. Thank you. And the book drops October 2nd. Is that right? October 2nd. That's right. And you can pre-order right now. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. And we'll have a future interview with Kara Santa Maria as well to get a different perspective on the book as well. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Show the world you care about progress. Go ahead, give us a like or a share. And if you want to learn more or support your purpose, visit partyofreasonandprogress.org.